0: Those of you that have your Bibles and would like to follow along, I want to take a reading out of, out of Hebrews 9. And uh, uh, Brother Brad has already made mention, the title of our subject is Jesus Tours the Tabernacle. And I hope and trust that uh, somehow, before I'm finished, that we can see. Uh, my pastor has a saying a lot of times, and he says it's all about Jesus. When we look at the tabernacle, I'll miss the mark, but I'm telling you, it is all about Jesus. Amen. It's all about Him, and if if uh, that doesn't come clear, then certainly that I have missed my mark. But uh, would like to to try to go through this, and and uh, this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I really appreciate the lessons that's already been taught. Look forward to you, those that are to come, and. We all just have our own uh, abilities, and, and uh, you'll just have to bear with me on on mine. Uh, but this will be a little different. I've just I need to read these scriptures, and then from that, I feel like we'll just sort of walk through the subject, if the Lord would help us. And um, so, but in uh, the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, and just before I read that, let me get one verse in the eighth chapter, verse five. There on the other page, uh, it talks about. Um, uh, it says, who serve unto the example and the shadows of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for sea, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed unto thee in the mountain. So, of course, we know that, that the, when they come out of bondage and the Lord called Moses up to Mount Sinai, he showed him things beyond our understanding, and in that God was very detailed and very precise. Uh, some people think that God is a hard, God is not a hard God, but He is a very precise. Amen. He does mean what He says, Amen. and uh, when we follow the Lord to the letter, it's amazing how God will manifest Himself before us in our lives. But. Uh, I want to go ahead and read this in the ninth chapter. And what we want to try to talk about is the ordinances uh, uh, during the, the Feast uh, of Atonement. Um, so, but ninth chapter, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine services in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made first, uh, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had now the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had the manna and aaron 's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over uh, it and the uh, cherubim of glory overshadowed the mercy seat of which we cannot now particularly or speak particularly now. When these things were thus ordained, the priest went in always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services of God. But unto the second went the high priest alone um, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself uh, for the errors and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way and to the holiness of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices uh, that uh, did the uh, the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances." imposing on them until the time of reformation, but Christ. Being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of, of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I want to skip over verse 23 for the sake of time. You catch a couple of verses. Verse 23 It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with uh, better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And that would be uh, our reading on that. And and, uh, what I would like to speak about is uh, the Hebrew writer refers to the Old Covenant uh, and is speaking here pertaining to the the, uh, uh, tabernacle. And then, of course, after that was was the temple. But we want to focus... primarily on the tabernacle and uh, he talked about how that it had cardinal ordinances and um and in that uh i want us to to look at uh, what i would call the the six cardinal ordinances concerning the feast of atonement the feast of atonement was a time and I, uh, it was it was once a year and it was a one day feast, unlike some of them, but it was a one day feast. It was held in the seventh month of the sacred calendar of Tishra on the tenth day, regardless of what day of the week it fell. It was always held on the tenth, and it was a one day feast. It was a time for them to recognize repentance. This was not a time of celebration, as maybe the tabernacle feast and some of the others. But it was a time that the writer said that they were to afflict their soul, a time of recognizing repentance. And uh, in this, uh, uh, there was six primary ordinances, uh, and that wouldn't be counting the veil. It's really hard not to count the veil as one of the ordinances as well, but, but we want to look at these the six ordinances. And, and as we do that, as I get... Let, let, me, let me get into this just a little bit before we get into the ordinances. Uh, the tabernacle itself, uh, the dimensions, uh, if you would, from the, uh, what we're going to say, the back of the building, from the, from the east to the west, the dimensions was 150 feet. And from the north to the south, it would have been 75 feet. And that was the outer courts. And if you read over, in, I think it's over in uh, Exodus 26, it talks about how that they was to take 10 curtains. They were to take five curtains that were equal in length, which were 42 feet apiece. They took those five curtains that were 42 feet each and they coupled those together. And then they would take five other curtains that was 42 feet and they would couple them together. And that would go down the side and wrap around the back side or the west side. And what it would do, it would leave a 30-foot opening to the east because that was the entrance to the tabernacle. When they would set up camp, they always had to, to uh, point the entrance from the east. Because if I'm not wrong, I think Matthew declares that uh, uh, as the lightning cometh out of the, out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. When, when they camped the children of Israel, when you go back in Numbers 1 and 2, you'll find that when they camped, they camped around this tabernacle. This tabernacle was the centerpiece. I mean, this, this, this was it, this, the tabernacle. And if you look at it closely, you'll see that they actually, God for, uh, had them in the formation of a cross when they would camp. They would count uh, to the east 181,000, and I don't want to get into this very much, but, but uh, if you, you study uh, numbers in the second chapter, they, they was like 181,000 that count directly, not northeast, but directly to the east, 181,000, and three other tribes would count to the west of 108,000, And to the south, 157,000. to the north, 151,000. And what you see in that, if you're from the east and you're looking, you would see the formation of a cross. And you see, this was some 1,500 years before Jesus ever bore that cross. But God, through his congregation, was preaching the cross. 1,500 years prior to him ever bearing the cross. So in the old covenant, brethren, they bore They bore the cross. They preached the cross. Jesus came and, and actually bore the cross, and you and I today are to preach that same cross. Yes. I personally believe there is one cross. We all have a portion of that cross, but there is but one cross, and we're all to bear our portion of that cross. But as he, as he, as he congregated the people together in the camp, and it was in the formation of the cross, uh, what I want to get across is, is in the crosshair. Was the tabernacle in in the very center was the tabernacle and and they were to keep their eyes focused upon the tabernacle because within the tabernacle contained the ark of the covenant that represented the presence of God Amen. so it is vital today that the congregation of the Lord keeps our eyes focused up on the tabernacle Amen. you see so uh, so he camped them in that form. And uh, the Levitical tribe, of course, camped immediately right around, right around him and, and done done the work of the priesthood and and so forth and so on. And um, and, and uh, when when they when they built this tabernacle, like we said, that they, they took the, the the five curtains on one side, the five curtains on the other side, wrapped it around the, the west end. Uh, and uh, and what I want to get across is is this uh, that word uh, couple. It said they were, if you read in Exodus 20, 26 and 6, I think it is, it says that the, those curtains were coupled together to make one tabernacle. And each one of them was equal. Well, the, the same Hebrew word for couple is also translated uh, 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 over in Psalms, I think it's 94 and 20. It's also translated to the word Fellowship, fellowship. I think it's I think it's Psalms not not nineteen and twenty or but but anyway, when it's it said over there that uh, doeth um, doeth the, the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, and and the word was the word there fellowship was the very same Hebrew word that was translated as coupled shabar. You look it up. So the word shabar in the Hebrew was translated not only into, into fellowship but also couples. So the point of it all is is, is uh, those curtains were, were, were joined together to make one tabernacle. And I believe that every local assembly of baptized believers is autonomous. And I believe that we're all equal regardless of size, uh, uh, wealth, or whatever. We're all equal. Amen. And all the local assemblies, just as those curtains are equal, and we make up one church kingdom. And I'm thankful that we can all be a part of that if we desire that to be. So so we have the tabernacle set up. And uh, I hope you can just visualize, like we said, that, that back to the east is the entrance. And uh, the ordinances that I want to speak about uh, in this order uh, would be... And, and, and all of this is in the outline as far as the scriptures. But, but whenever the priest would enter in from the east, the very first thing that he had to deal with was the brazen altar. And then the second thing coming this direction was the brazen laver. And then he came to the sanctuary. And he had to enter in to the sanctuary. And over to his south, you would have over here, you'd have the, the uh, lamps. A stand or the candlestick and then directly to his north just inside the tabernacle inside the sanctuary over here to his north he would have the table of shewbread, and then right here right before the veil i mean back this is the veil beyond the veil is the holy of holies Amen. 15 by 15 the holy just before the veil uh we have the uh the little golden incense altar and then beyond the veil of the Ark of the Covenant. So those are the, the uh, ordinances, and I believe that those are the cardinal ordinances, that, and they had to be fulfilled every single year and only by the high priest especially uh, to enter into uh, the Holy of Holies. Amen. So um, what I want to do is, and uh, I'm just going to try to walk through this, but I want you just to be able to imagine... Um, when the high priest actually come, and, and it is, is now uh, the, the uh, Feast of Atonement. And uh, uh, as the high priest would come in, there had to be an offering. And, and in order for him to take care of the ordinance of the, of the uh, uh, altar back there, the brazen altar, that altar was like seven and a half feet square, and it was four and a half feet high. And, and the wood would be ricked in order. And there was a grate that was up on it. And the first thing that they had to do was they had to slay a bullock and, and catch the blood in a censer. They would catch the blood of the bullock. And then they would take, and probably a lot of deer hunters here, but they would, what we would call field dress, but they would dress the bullock. And then, dressed in dressing the bullock, then they would cut the bullock up into pieces, and they would lay the, the, the flesh of certain portions of the bullock up on the altar. And this bullock was an offer, was a sin offering for the high priest because he was still a man. Right. So he he's accomplished that. Now, then, they have the uh, two goats that are presented. And when the two goats are presented, and these goats had to be chosen, and then they had to cast lots between these two goats. In the casting of the lots between these two goats, when the lots would fall, one goat would be the scapegoat, leaving the second goat to be the atonement goat. And in case we don't get into it, that, that, uh, the scapegoat is the goat that, that the high priest after he performs all of his rituals, when he's completely finished with all the ordinances, the last thing he does, of course, he catches the that scapegoat by the head, and he confesses all the sins of Israel upon the scapegoat. And there will be a man that is chosen of the Levitical tribe that will take that goat and lead that goat not only outside the tabernacle, but plumb out of the camp and lead it plumb out into the wilderness, Amen. signifying the removal of sin. <clears throat> A beautiful picture there of Jesus. But, uh, but that would be the last thing that, that would be done concerning the ordinances. Now, when they would take this uh, uh, atonement goat, and again, they would do it as the bullock. They would have to slay that little innocent goat. And in slaying the goat, they would take a censer and they would catch the blood and reserve the blood. After doing that, they would take and they would have to dress uh, the goat and having dressed him, and they took the skins and all that, and uh, took it outside the camp and burned it, and then the flesh, they had to put it up on the fire, and there they burnt those for a burnt offering. So now the high priest has accomplished uh, the work there of the altar. Now, in doing that, he moves on up to the next ordinance, which would be the the Brazen laver. Now, the Brazen laver was a place that... Uh, the high priest had to sanctify himself before he could go any further. See, his next step was going to be entering into, not the Holy of Holies, but his next step was entering into the sanctuary, into the holy place. And, and the thing he had, was going to have to address was going to be the candlestick. Before he could do that, he first had to sanctify himself. And the scripture said that he would wash his hands and his feet. And it was not merely just taking and dipping his, his hands down in the laver. But I believe he had to scrub. Amen. And it wasn't just filth and dirt that he was washing off. But what it was, he had the blood of the sacrifice up on himself. Right. Now, the high priest in this picture, if the blood of the sacrifice was upon him, he could not enter the holy place. He could go no further until he had sanctified and completely washed the blood from his hands. We rightfully tell lost people that the blood has got to be applied. And in a sense, and we're right, but in a sense speaking, the blood is already applied. The blood is either up on their hands and they're guilty before a holy and an all-knowing God. The blood of His Son is upon their hands and they're guilty. They stand guilty before an all-knowing God. Or they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and made white. And the blood has been placed upon the heart. So uh, so I think that's a whole lot of what that... A lot of these things are patterns and and pictures of things. And and I, I know I'm not getting this across good, but everything in this tabernacle is about Jesus. It's all about him. So now then he has accomplished that. And as he moves on now, then he is to come on forward and he is to enter into the holy place. Coming through that outer veil, he would come into the holy place. And and in order, this was the next thing he had to do, he would come in to the lampstand over here to the south side. What he had to do was he had to put fire, he had to light that lampstand. Now what's also important is acknowledge that everything, everything stems off that altar back there. If there's not an altar, you're not going to get nowhere. But they would take a censer and a fire from the altar and they would take that and use that to light the lampstand or the candlesticks as we call it today. So what, what I want you to think about this is when they would enter into that sanctuary, that room was 30 feet, uh, as far as east to west, it was 30 feet by 15 and it was 15 feet high with a covering. It was a dark little room. You see, it was completely covered. It was dark. So what he had to do was he come in and he lit the lampstand. He lit the candlestick. And what did that do? It gave light to the house, didn't it? So, and we know, of course, revelations and places where it talks about, we know what the, the candlestick represents. It, it's, it's about the elect lady. It's about the church, you say. And and, and we acknowledge the people that, that when they are saved, and washed in the blood, they need to follow the Lord in baptism. Amen. We are When we are baptized, we're baptized into the body. Well, how can you put a light on a candlestick if you didn't have a light? It all stems from the altar. You see. So now the high priest, he's accomplished that. And I do believe this, and I won't say no more about it, but I believe that that, That when he lit that, I believe that's a beautiful picture of the time in Jesus' own ministry as he walked here upon earth when he set up his church. I think that's what it's all about. And you see, that ordinance had to be taken care of before his death and way before Pentecost. If you think about it. This was one of the ordinances. And it had to be fulfilled. If it hadn't been fulfilled... uh, as Brother Miller talked about, you know, he every, every jot and every tittle. But I think it was a beautiful picture when the Lord set up his church, and uh, that had to happen before his death. So now he has lit the candlestick, and in doing so, the next thing he has to do is to come over to his due north. And over here is the golden table of Shewbread. And uh, if I'm not wrong, there was 12 loaves. And I don't know that they look like a sunbeam loaf, but uh, I picture more like a pancake. I don't know that. But they were unleavened. But there was 12 loaves of bread. And the scripture does say that there were six on one side and six on the other. These 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And in that, what the high priest had to do was he had to go and break each one of those all 12 of them he had to and we all had to be broken Amen. but but he had to break each one of them and a portion of each one of them would be offered up to the lord for a sacrifice but the fragment was to be left behind now if you go on and read and i think it's in leviticus but it's in my, it's in the outline when he left those fragments, after the high priest completely performed every one of his ordinances and fulfilled every bit of it, those, those fragments of bread that was to be left behind, you know who was to eat those? The priesthood. The priesthood. After the high priest had fulfilled everything, then the priesthood was to come in and they was to eat the remainder of the shoe bread. And, and that was the priesthood. And this is, we're talking about the the Feast of Atonement. This is not the Feast of Passover, but it does run parallel. And when you think about how the priesthood was the ones that was to eat the remainder that was left over, and they was to eat it all, uh, I believe it was Peter that talked about that that the church today, that we are, uh, I think he referred to us as the spiritual Israel in one place. And how that he said that uh, we are a, a, a chosen nation. And I believe he said we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. And that bread of life in a lot of ways represented Jesus because we know that he's the manna that come down from heaven. So the bread as far as the shoe bread during this feast represented Jesus as the bread of life just like the bread in Passover. And it was to be eaten by the priesthood. So now that he has performed that and he's got that ordinance behind him, uh, now then he moves on westward up here to just in front of the veil. And that's where you find the little incense altar. And um, the old song about little as much when God is in it. Uh, that incense altar was just 18 inches by 18 inches. You'll find that in Exodus 30. But it was 18 by 18 inches, a foot and a half, and it was three foot tall. And it tells about how they they put the rings in it and and overlaid with gold. And the reason they put the rings and staffs through it was so that every time that they would pick up camp, you see, they could take it with them. And you see, I got saved on an old couch down below Antioch Missionary Baptist Church in Macon County. But I'm glad I don't have to go back to that couch. I'm glad I don't have to go back down in that holler down there. uh, Because that couch is gone, the house burnt down. But uh, the altar, that incense altar that I have, is right here. It's erected in my heart, and I take it with me on my journey. And I'm glad that through it, I've got access to the throne of God in every aspect of my life if I want it. I have got access to the mind of Christ for my life. People, prayer is awesome. And it's neglected. It's neglected. But that, that incense altar, when he erected the incense altar and, and then what, what they had to do, and here again, where did they get the coal of fire to put on the incense altar? It all comes back from the altar. They had to bring a coal of fire from their altar and they placed it up on the incense altar. Well, when you go on and read the remainder of that 30th chapter of Exodus, it tells them over there, they couldn't just offer up any incense that they pleased. They had to to use aunt and frankincense and different things, and it said that they were to use an equal measure of each one of those. Using an equal measure of each one of them, they were to take that and not just merely beat it, but crush it. It had to be completely crushed to a powder the best of their ability. Having done that, when they took that, that, Incense that was powdered, and it, when it was mixed and blended together as God had directed them, uh, and then they would take that and they would sprinkle that up on that hot coal of fire, it would create a smothering. It would, it would start smothering, which created a smoke. And uh, as it would smoke, it would smoke up the house. And there's a couple of places in the scriptures where we find that it had smoked up the house by filling the house with the glory of God to a point that the priest couldn't even stand to minister. And uh, those, sometimes we, uh, we even kid our pastor, Brother Jeff, about uh, those are the good services. Whenever we have a testifying meeting and Jeff don't get to preach, those are the good ones. But but sometimes, sometimes the Lord just, just manifests himself in, in ways the preacher don't get to preach. But But by applying the the incense that god directed and he was very precise and in doing so what it would do it would cause a sweet smell to come up and he said that if you offer the incense that i tell you to basically and it comes up before god and he smells it as a sweet smell he said there will i meet with thee you see when we pray and we pray for the lord's will in our hearts There is where God will meet with us. If we pray and we receive not, uh, it says we we catch ourselves praying amiss. Sometimes I think I know what I really need where I don't have a clue. But at the end of our prayer, in our heart, somewhere, it's got to be the will of God. Our hearts has got to yearn for the will of God. And in doing that, we're supposed to just take that incense altar that we have in our heart and just decorate the heavens with our prayer. And then let God answer them in accordance to His will. Because uh, it's all about Him. It's about Him. There's a lot of times it becomes about us if we're not careful. And it don't need to be about us. It's not. It's not. All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. Good and bad things in our lives. Bad things happen to good people. But just know that God is in, in control, so now then the the high priest now is, he has he did this, and he has he offered up this incense. and in doing so the the smoke is coming the little room there, the fifteen by thirty uh it's filled with smoke now this this uh veil that's fifteen foot and it's a one piece, fifteen by fifteen foot tall is is the partition between him and the 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 ark of the covenant that represented the presence of god so when this veil is rolled back for him to go in there still had to be a covering for him because he was still a man so it the scripture said that the smoke then had to come in and cover the ark of the covenant and, and it covered it, and, and I don't know how that it, it is with that, but I picture in my mind if he literally just pulled, pulled the curtain back a little bit to go in, it may have caused a vacuum, maybe. to, to But anyway, the scriptures confirm that the smoke had to cover the Ark of the Covenant to protect the high priest that was still a man. And in doing so, he would go in, and he has, he has uh, the blood. He has to have the blood. And when he goes in, uh, he takes the center first of the bullock. And the scripture says he sprinkles uh, the mercy seat seven times with the blood of the bullock. And after he sprinkles the mercy seat with the bullock, and that was an offering for himself, then he takes the blood uh, from the atonement goat and he sprinkles that seven times up on the mercy seat seven times for the sins of Israel. (laughs) Having done this, uh, he has completed these seven, uh, six ordinances plus, plus the veil. And now then, after uh, completing that, now the high priest will come out, and there again he goes back and he catches the, that uh, scapegoat by the head. He confesses the sins of it. They take and they lead it, plumb out into the wilderness, signifying the removal uh, thereof sin. So that would be a, a concluding, so to speak, the, the ordinances uh, of, the, of the Feast of Atonement. Now, we know that Jesus is our high priest. Amen. And we know that Jesus, the scripture says, he come after the order of Melchizedek. According to the scriptures, there we find no record, no, no genealogy of Melchizedek as far as any beginning or any end. And the scriptures confirms that Melchizedek during the days of Abraham was not only the king over Salem, which became known as Jerusalem. Melchizedek was not only the king of Salem, but he was also the priest of of Salem. See, completely unorthodox. A king and a priest. And it said that, that Jesus would come after the order of Melchizedek. He was, Melchizedek was at the same time king and priest. A lot of people, and, and I'm, not, I'm not argumentative at all, but a lot of people think that Jesus, as of right now, is just our high priest that's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercessions. But I think... Simultaneously at the same time, he's not only high priest, but he's already king because he has already got a kingdom. So he is already the king and uh, Melchizedek was king and and high priest. And so so not was, but so is Jesus. He is still our high priest and he is still our king of all kings. Of all kings, so I want you to think about. We title this as, as "Touring the Tabernacle," and I want you to think about um, Jesus being our High Priest. And I want I want you to go with me. Of course, they, these feasts were set up after they come out of out of uh, bondage from Egypt, and, and uh, according to the timetable that I have at home, they, that was fourteen ninety one when they came out. Uh, uh, or, yeah, you know, when they come out of bondage and then they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, I want you to go with me, if you would, about 1,500 years or more later. I want you to go with me uh, just outside the city of Jerusalem, out just outside the wall, and out just a little piece up there from the temple, uh, up on a little rise, on a little hill that's called Golgotha. And what I want you to look at. Him, yeah. our high priest, our king of all kings. And I want you to acknowledge and to say, I, I really appreciate the le- lessons this morning. And Brother Miller just sort of opened the door to what some of this. But, but I want you to just look and imagine. And I'm not saying it happened this way. But I want you just to imagine that Jesus hanging on that cross in, a, in a, a physical agony that's completely beyond our comprehension. And in that, he foreknows that every jot and every single tittle of the law had to be completely fulfilled. Every bit of it. And that included the ordinances of the tabernacle. So if you would, I just want you to think of our high priest during all of his agony and all of his suffering. 1,500 years later, and here he is suffering and hanging as he's crucified. And through all of that, for your sake and for mine, he has to, he has to scout out. He has to go back and, and look back and look uh, to the present and look to the future. And he has to know within every means of his body that every jot and tittle has been fulfilled. So I want you to think of it as though that in his mind on that cross, he would have entered into that tabernacle. I want you to just think how he may have thought as he would have entered into that tabernacle from the east and he would have looked at the altar and seen the blood on the altar and all that and he would have known, I took care of that. Here I am. This ordinance has been fulfilled. Nail that one to the cross. Finished, that's done. Then, then Jesus in his mind would have looked to the next ordinance. And of course, that was the labber. And here he is, and he knows, I have made a way that they, all that would believe, could be washed in my blood and made as white as snow. Yeah. And I think, the, he, the, uh, Paul, I believe it was John that said one time, and he who loved us and washed us from our own sin. Jesus knows that he took care of the labor And made a way that each one, everyone, whosoever Amen. could be washed in his blood. Amen. There's another one now he can nail to the cross. He, has to, he comes on up in his mind still in agony. But he has to know that all these things have been taken care of. And nailed to the cross. He would come inside the sanctuary, look over to the candlestick, and there's, there's his elect lady. There's his bride. She's a shining. people's shame on us that she's not shining brighter than she is. Amen. And I'll say this much. The, the less that we shine our lights and the less that we trim our wigs, the darker God is going to allow the world to get around us. We can blame it on the world all we want. But if we will not trim our wicks, God will allow the world to get dark around us because there's going to be a light shining somewhere. It's going to shine. So he can look over and he knows, I have left a lost and a dying world, a dark world. I have left them access. I have left them light that they can see. He knows he's done it. So I believe he set the church up before before Pentecost. Doing that, on that cross, still in his agony, looks over here in the sanctuary. There's, there's that table of shoe bread, that golden table of shoe bread. And he can see the bread is broke. It's broke. Yeah. He's broke. Even though not a bone in his body right. was broke. But he was broke Amen. for our transgressions. So he knows that he is the bread of life, That He is the man. He knows the bread has been broke. There's another one. He can just take that one and nail that one to the cross as well. And then he would come to that last one before he gets to the veil. And that's that little, that's that little incense altar. In that incense altar, you say, well, how do, how does that one apply? I think it applies in ways that none of us. None of us can really comprehend. We know the physical pain. We, we, we imagine, just begin to imagine the physical pain, but we don't know the spiritual pain. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He had prayed to a point that the Bible says that, that His sweat became as drops of blood. And He had, he had scouted, no doubt, any other way whatsoever. Now listen, I know that, that, that he was not only all God, but he was all man. And I know that he wasn't released any of that pain. Uh, I'm talking about the physical pain. He endured it all. But, but the even worse than that, when it said that he en- en- endured the cross, but he despised the shame. The cross, no doubt he dreaded the physical pain. But, but for the Son of God to have to crush His own will and to be able to become sin who knew not, Listen, He was all pure. He was righteous. He was more than holy. He was holy. He was pure holy. And now He's going to have to be plunged off into sin. I believe that, that was the, what the, the, the thing that He despised, the shame. Of him being God of the flesh and he's going to have to become sin. Who knew no sin. But finally he got to the point just, you know we talked about that incense altar. How they had to crush it. <laughs> what did Jesus do in the garden of Gethsemane? That third and final prayer. He crushed his own will. For me. And for you. He crushed it. And said not my will but thy will be done. He submitted at that point to the death of the cross. Amen. Totally submitted. And I never understood this till probably a year or more ago. Should have known it. I never even really understood that Jesus was never liable for death until he became sin. I, 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 just, I never had thought about it. But before he became sin, he literally could not, they couldn't kill him. But then, when he willingly, willingly volunteered to take sin upon him, he became liable for death that only men you deserve. He is our high priest. He nailed every one of these to the cross. Every time, you know, somebody playing ball and things, you know, somebody will do something just exceedingly well. well they'll say, man, he nailed it. Well, I'll say this. Man, he nailed it. He, he nailed it. He, he not only nailed it, but he took it to the, to the grave with him and he left it for all of those that would believe. Yes, he nailed it. And then He buried it in a sea of forgetfulness to never remember no more for any and all that would believe. Amen. He's an awesome, awesome God. Amen. And I'm thankful that I can say that I know Him. In these ordinances, we'll close. What I want you to acknowledge is these ordinances prior to coming to the veil, these ordinances... Uh, is in the formation of a cross if you didn't pick up on it. The altar to the east, coming this way, you'd have the laver, walking on into the sanctuary, off to the south over here, golden candlestick. To the north, we have the table of shewbread, and up here to the west, you had the incense altar. Every bit of that, those five, was in the formation of a cross before we go to the holy place. Our high priest has left you and I a pattern to follow. Our life should be in the formation of a cross prior to us going home. We have to erect an altar, be washed in the blood. And people, that is not the end of it. You know, the nine lepers, you know, what happened... But a lot of people think, well, that's the end of it. You know, wrecked an altar and get washed in the life. People, that is when we get eternal life. I've already got eternal life. That's when it starts. And then we are to follow the Lord in baptism. Believe that. Keep Him as a memorial as being the bread of life. And use that altar, folks. Use it. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I'm thankful that He's my King. And he is my high priest. And he does make intercession, Brother Brad. Many times I've got myself in so many issues. And God just bails me out through prayer. But uh, I'm thankful that he's mine. Appreciate your time.